Turn your Bibles to the 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians. We are looking at verses 13 and 14. First Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14, a little section that I am entitling Powerful Living. Powerful Living. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll read the word of the Lord. Father, we come before you begging you for ears to hear and eyes to see. Father, may we be receptive to what you show us in these just five commands. And Father, um, as you have encouraged us and strengthened us over these years as we have looked at this epistle. Father, I look at these five and I am overwhelmed. Help us, Father. Help us to bow before Your Word. Help us to be overwhelmed by Your presence. And help us to cast the entanglements of this world and be about our Father's work. Even on this day, we celebrate Father's Day. Father, may it be something that we draw to our Heavenly Father with a passion that draws to the passion that You showed us on Calvary in Christ and Christ alone. Amen. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong and let all that you do be done in love. I think think the problem with this text is it's too small. Because we just kind of read through it and think, well, there we go. And yet I shared with you over these last few weeks that we've been studying this. You've got 29 chapters written to the, the Corinthians. Okay? And let's be realistic. They're, they're, they're 29 chapters rebuking this church, admonishing this church. However you want to describe it, that's what they're doing. And yet, you can remove all 29 chapters and summarize it in verses 13 and 14. Had you do the, if you do these things, then you don't have to worry about the rest. And that's what we've been looking at. And what is amazing about this, if you go back to the original language, you will find that these five words are all imperatives. Okay? And what I mean by an imperative is, it is a command. It's not an option. It's not if you feel like it. And he's basically laid out the reasons in the first 15 chapters. But if you do these things, it's 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 amazing thing about the word of God. When he shows error in the word of God, he will always show how it is rectified. How do I fix it? And that's what we've been looking at. Um, and the first one that you see there is to be alert. You be alert. This is just review. What you going to be alert? OK, it's the word we get Gregory from. If you have a, a child named Gregory or your name is Gregory, then it just means be awake. And uh, that and $3, you can get a Starbucks coffee. But it, it means that you need to be paying attention to what is going on around you. And I've already shown you in the Corinthian letter that they were not paying attention. And I see this today in Christendom. I see it in individuals and I see it in churches. All right, where they're not paying.
paying attention. They're not alert. They're not seeing what is Satan doing. They're not seeing temptations. They're not seeing trials. They're not seeing the waywardness, the apathy, the prayerlessness. They're not paying attention to any of that. And he says, because of the way you are, I want you to be alert, pay attention. How do I pay attention? By being in the Word of God, being aware to the wiles of Satan. Let's be realistic. Satan only runs three plays. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. That's it. Okay, now it may be a combination, but that's it. That's all he's going to do. So you need to be awake. You need to be watching. You need to be alert. The second thing that we've seen there is stand firm in the faith. Be firm. Okay, now it's a definite article faith, so that would be the revealed gospel. Okay, and it literally means to contend for it, to stand for it. Do not be swayed. I watch people today who get tossed to and fro all over the place by anything that comes down the pike. Somebody can be, I am a Christian author. They write a book and all of a sudden everybody just takes off and follows it. Why? Well, he's Christian. Well, but it's not against, the, it's against the Bible. There's a book out, a very published book, a very red book, and he gives you eight things in that book that if you do these eight things, you'll be saved. And at the conclusion of the eight, he even makes a statement, welcome to the kingdom of God. Welcome that you are now a brother or sister in Christ. The problem is none of the eight are biblical. And he never deals with the doctrine of sin. And he never deals with repentance. So, and, and that drives you nuts. And I'm sitting there going, you get all of these millions and millions of people reading this. They read this thing and they immediately think they're saved. But what are you basing your faith on? You just condemned people believing that you had saved them. Okay, And, 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 and I, I try to share with people that my faith will not save you. All right? It has to be yours. You have to stand in it. If you look at Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he makes the statement, he says, there's a narrow gate and there's a broad gate. Okay? Do you understand at the narrow gate, there are few that find it? You know what that means? There's a bunch looking. And the narrow gate literally has in mind going through a turnstile. Right, So it's not like you can go through with the pastor or your Sunday school teacher or a deacon or an elder or something like that. You're going through by yourself. And, 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 I, and I really struggle with trying to get people to understand that it is your faith. It is your Savior. But you must stand in it. All right? And, and, and if you do this, then this will correct this will correct. And the faith given once for all is the word of God. Okay, now we have another military command. All right. Uh, the New American Standard translates it, act like men. Okay, what, what the heck does he mean by that? Act like men. Well, it's an interesting word. Uh, it only appears here in the New Testament. Um, it's several times if you go to the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And, and it has in mind uh, the idea of courage. All right. Um, it, it's 
But it has, it's used in reference to maturity. Um, be of good courage, sometimes it's, it's translated. Um, literally, the connotation from the English would be, be mature. Be mature. Um, both are in this single term. Uh, it's, it's the idea, if I, if I wanted to look at it, it would be the idea of courage and maturity. Okay? And, and you know, the question that I came up with was, are, aren't they co-equal? Maturity and, and, and courage? Listen, and I, and I thought about this because a child, if you take a child uh, or uh, an individual that's immature, okay, they don't tend to be courageous, right? All right. If you, if you take a child or an immature individual, uh, they tend to be a little on the fearful side, don't they? So when I look at this and he says, act like men, um, he's saying because mature people, uh, Men tend to be courageous. They have a, a sense of confidence in them. They have a sense of, of control. I have an ability because of such and such and such and such and such and such that I can, I can get through this. And what Paul is saying here is that you should be courageous men. You should be grown up. You should be mature. Okay. Con, you know, it's like conduct yourself in a manly way. All right. See, the emphasis in this phrase is is maturity. Listen, because courage, the courage part of maturity will come behind maturity. Once you are mature, you will be courageous. All right. Now think about how he stacked this thing. I want you to be firm in the word of the Lord. Okay. I want you to stand and I want you to be alert in what? The word of the Lord. Why? Because it's obvious the church in Corinth was not acting mature. They weren't acting like men. I'll show you. Chapter 14, verse 20. This is an interesting text and you see this over and over in this letter actually 1420 brethren do not be children in your thinking yet in evil be infants but in your thinking be mature okay see he dealt with the Corinthians um, a lot but uh, he doesn't want them to be childish in their understanding. You know, I watch Christians today and, and, and they believe that Christianity is based on information intake. If I memorize this or I engulf this or I do this. And you know what? I, I definitely want to encourage you to do that. But that does not make you mature. All right, because maturity comes when the information that you have received in, you walk in it. All right, and then as I'm walking in that information, when something comes out of the blind side, and know this, it will come, you will stand in that information. 
Now that is maturity. I know some people right now who have degrees uh, and, and, and have been through higher education and undergraduate classes and all the rest of it. And yet in their response to life, they're very immature. So it is not an information input situation. It is more of a walk now situation in what you have. Okay. And as you walk in that, you will grow. Right. Uh, see, you know, have you ever read the, seen them little books that come out that people put out the promises of Jesus or Jesus's promises, little promise books. And you can just go through these and they'll help you through uh, the times of trouble. Jesus promises to be with you until the end of the ages. And I will bless those who bless you da, 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 and all the rest of it. And everybody. But, you know, I've always I've gone through a few of those. I, I don't really spend a lot of time in them. But there's one promise that you never find in them promise books. In this life, you will have tribulation. Okay? You know what? That's a promise. Okay? Uh, you don't have, The other one you won't find in there. If you walk in Christ's righteousness, you will be persecuted. Okay? And, and yet, when you, you, you get those things, you, you sit there and you go, wow, man, that's kind of crazy. All right? And, and, and have you ever shared your faith with people and it caused you grief? I mean, it got you in trouble? Okay, that, what, what? You know, I'm, I'm just trying to help you get to heaven. What's, what's the problem here? Okay, Th- that kind of stuff you start, what? But if you're not childish in your thinking, then you know that this is on the plate, that this is coming. He says, grow up. Grow up, Corinthians. The, so many ways, and he says it over and over in this letter. Uh, go to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 20, 21. This is a funny text here. I, I like this text. Okay. For the kingdom of God does not consist of words, but in power. Amen. Okay. What do you desire? All right. Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Okay. Do you want me to come and spank you like a child? That's what Paul's saying. Why? Because you're childish. Absolutely childish. Okay? And if you're truly honest with yourself, (laughs) they're a bunch of babies. I've worked in the nursery before. I've seen it. I know how it works. And in some cases, it looks just like church. Okay? Ever seen them? Mine! 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 Okay, I've seen churches that are that way. That's mine! You know, I, I remember sitting in a church one time, and I sat down in the seat, and this lady come up and said, sat there and looked at me. And I said, how are you? And, you know, God's visiting, and she just kept standing there looking at me. And I was in there going, wow, man, this is kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> this, this has just a side order of awkward on it. Okay, and it was chairs. It wasn't like I was in a pew. And a guy came up from behind me and says, that's our chair. Really? Yeah, we, had, we took donations to buy the chairs and she gave and that's hers. Sorry. Okay. And all I could think of was, hmm. I'm in the nursery. 
Okay? This church had fighting going on in it. They were arguing. They were bickering. And they were flopping around with all kinds of false teaching. How's come? They weren't mature. And you see this. We're told that if you find, uh, be careful about laying hands on a young believer and making them an elder. Okay, do you know why? They will fall into the temptation of the devil. What was that? Pride. Pride. Okay, and when you see pride raising up, then you can see someone who is immature. They're not you know, now they may have, you know, I have been to Bible college. I was raised in the church. I'm the third generation pastor's son. I don't know how that works. But anyway, uh, you know, I've been to seminary and I've, I've done this and I've done that. And I went in the mission field. And I've been to Ethiopia and I've been to Cambodia. And here I am and get out of my chair. <laughs> you just sit there and you go, what? Why? Because you've got the information, but it's obvious you're not trusting in it. Alright? But you see that. Now listen, I want you to understand something about the church in Corinth. It is a church. But I mean, you've got people getting drunk at the Lord's table. That's mature. You've got people fighting saying, well, if you really want to be spiritual, you need to be single. And then you've got married people fighting with them saying, well, if you really want to be spiritual, you've got to be married. Now what is that? That's immaturity. It's immaturity. If you think um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, Ephesians 4, 14, as a result, we are no longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. In all aspects to him who is the head, even church, even Christ. Okay, who's the head of the church? I got news for you. It's not me and Matt. It's Christ. Okay, and yet people will get mad and say, well, I'm going to go start a church because you're not doing it right. Well, you just want to be the head. Okay, and, and, and you've got to be careful about this. Why? You, you don't want to be an infant. Have you ever seen, I love new Christians, okay? When, when, when it's like God just opens their eyes, their spiritual eyes, and poof to what has happened. But there is a problem, okay? I, I mean, have you ever, the enthusiasm in a new believer, if you could bottle that, uh, we would have a new power source, and I'm not sure what the carbon footprint is of it, but isn't it true? But but new Christians are like puppies, aren't they? Cute as a button, right? And just wagging and excited, but they wee-wee all over everything. And they chew on everything. And so you have to work them through all of it, Right? And you grow them and you get them and, and sometimes you gotta spank their little heads and butts to, I pay attention here where this isn't working. Okay? But the enthusiasm is wondrous. But you have to be real careful about it because you could be damp. Alright? And I, and I try to get people to understand it. That is the same thing when you see it in the church. You see some churches that are full of infants. 
And at times, man, that can be just, that would be, that side would emphasize draining. All right. Um, these in Corinth, they couldn't defend themselves. All right. And you know what's amazing about these situations? They believe they are mature. And that even makes it worse. They have a lot of information. But let's be realistic. If you've ever dealt with these kind of people, you understand they're clueless when it comes to maturity. You know, I've known people who have studied the Bible longer than I am old and yet are infant in the things of God. They, they, are, they are absolutely clueless. And, and that's kind of heartbreaking, actually. In chapter 3, in, in case you think I'm trying to make this up, verses 1 through 3, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. Did you see that? Did you see that? Do you see what Paul just did there? You know how you can tell an infant in Christ, an immature Christian? They act like the lost. They put their emphasis on the things that the lost put the emphasis on. They look just like them. Okay? You are men of the flesh. If you're men of the flesh, then what is that? Flesh is leading. The flesh is leading. You have to deal with. He says, I got to deal with you like children. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. It's funny, I have a lot of people come to me and they'll say, you know, I, I, I did this Bible study and it is really, really, really deep. Okay? Well, I'll give you a warning right now. And I'm saying this with all the love that I can muster at this moment. Okay? If you're reading somebody else's book and you think that's deep, it's not. There's only one book that is really, really, really deep. And that's God's. Are there good Bible studies out there? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But when I have a person tell me that they're doing somebody else's Bible study, then you're just following somebody else's notes. Then it ain't really that deep. Okay? And, and I'm not saying that to offend. I'm not against Bible studies. That's not... that You, you, you who know me know that I'm... Get into it. Okay? But if you want really, really, really deep, then jump into the eternals. That'd be the Word of God. Because okay, all these other Bible studies are going to burn too. And then all you got left is the Word. Alright? So, but, 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 but I, I get people who come and they think, well, I'm studying such and such and they're really deep. Really? I'm good. You know what you just told me? Never mind. Why? Because there's sibling rivalries in the church. You ever seen brothers and sisters? Brothers and sisters? 
You ever seen that? They're kind of funny at times. You think, you're related. Why do you hate each other? Oh, wait, Palestinians and Israelis. Never mind. I understand now. Listen, this church was taking each other to court. You telling me there wasn't sibling rivalry going on? You're brothers and sisters in Christ and you're taking each other and suing each other in court? The court of the pagans? Yeah, I'm thinking you got some, some problems there. Look at chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. Okay, now that's in reference to the spiritual gift of, can I say this? Tongues. I know people today who believe that if you can speak in tongue, that is a sign of spiritual maturity. Paul says it's childish. <laughs> and you should get beyond that. Okay, people ask me, you believe in tongues? Yes. Do you do it? No. Well, why not? I outgrew it. Okay, um, Matt and Shannon's Gabby likes to talk to me. And I don't have an interpreter. <laughs> I have no idea what she's telling me. I think it's good because she seems to be smiling. But, you know, I've known people who can say bad things about you and smile at you while they're saying them. But what was the Corinthian church doing? They were childish. They, and Paul says, put away the childish things. You know what? Even their worship was childish. Their worship was based on feelings and emotions. Hmm. Does that sound familiar? They were based... There wasn't truth. You know, and I have seen this in just my lifetime that... 20 years ago, actually about 15, 10 or 15 years ago, if you see somebody coming out of a church and you ask them, did you worship today? And they said, yes. Then you could say, well, how do you know you worshiped? And their response would always be the same. The word of God was lifted up and preached. If you go today and you see someone coming out of a church and you ask them if they worship today and they say, yes. And you ask them, how do they know? What will be their answer? It's the music. We have a group of pastors here in Castle Rock, and we get together every Thursday and we pray together. And uh, <laughs> for some reason, they keep asking me to come. But uh, um, the, the one guy was this, he wanted us to pray that. Uh, but we were sitting there and he says, I need you to pray. He says, we're, we're interviewing for a worship leader. <laughs> and I said, really? I said, are you leaving? He said, what? I said, well, the pastor, the preacher, the person who serves up the word of God is the worship leader. Well, no, I, I need someone to lead music. Then why don't you go get someone to lead music and quit calling them worship leaders? 
See why? The only reason they keep asking me back, I usually bring donuts. But, um, but you see what I'm trying to get at? I'm not here to pick a fight. But listen, you guys are spiritual leaders. Let's call it what it is. I'm not into small groups. I'm not into mentoring classes or apprenticeships. I'm into discipling. Why? Because that's the word Jesus used. And I'm thinking it works well. Okay? You know, I've had people who will call up and say, well, what kind of worship do you have? But you see what I'm trying to get at? Listen, move beyond the emotion. Listen, worship is a mental thing. It isn't a goosebump thing. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, when they were worshiping in the wilderness for 40 years, they weren't basing that on emotion. I mean, every once in a while they had a big side order of scared. And, and we have to get back to that. We need to understand what we have been called to. Paul says, grow up. He says, Dad, just grow up and you can eliminate a whole bunch of trouble. You're going to remove carnality. You're going to remove the bickering. You're going to remove the fighting and all the squabbling and all the infantile stuff will be gone if you just grow up. See, the emotional would have given way to truth. When you bring truth in, it breaks the emotion. All right, and then it settles in a position where now you can stand firm in the faith. You stand in a position where you are now alert and you'll be firm and you'll get rid of a lot of your problems. That's why I believe that the teaching of the Word of God always appeals to the highest level. You teach the Word of God. You preach the Word of God. And that raises everything. And there's no more of the liver quiver. There's no more of the goosebumps or my hair stood up. You know, you could literally get to a position where, you know, you don't even have to sing. I just want to hear the Word. That brings people to maturity. It's not just feelings. See, when you're living your life, as your Christian life, based on emotions and feelings, understand you're childish. The Word of God is cerebral. There's a lot of thinking going on. It. There's a lot of meditation that goes in. It. And, and you're pondering it and you're moving it around. And he says, you know what? If you grow up, a lot of this will change. A lot of this will change. Why? Because if I am in to the Word and I am in to understanding who He is, growing in maturity, then guess what? I'm not going to be led away. to Let's get drunk at the Lord's table. Or, hey, I'm one of the wealthy ones in the, in the church. I'll bring a big spread, but we'll eat it before the poor people get there, okay? I won't be challenging you on whether you're single or married or how, what your spiritual maturity is. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. Well, you poor pagans, I am of Christ. Okay? There, there's an arrogance that existed in the church in Corinth. There's an arrogance that exists in the church today. I remember the Russians 
were offended because a large group of Baptists wanted to come over and tell them how to evangelize. And you know what? These guys who supposedly were going to teach this, did you, could you have ever gone to prison for sharing your faith? Every one of these men could. And you're going to teach them what? I don't think so. I don't think so. If you're alert, you wouldn't have gotten into this mess. If you're firm, you'll never give away your theology, your understanding of who God is. And you know what? If you're mature, you'll eliminate all the fighting and the arrogance and all of the the sibling rivalries. Okay? We are to be mature. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Is that what you're doing? Is that what you're doing? Not what am I doing? What are you doing? Are you growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? Okay, You should grow in this. You should grow in the grace. You should grow in the knowledge. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. Verse 13 excuse me. Okay, I, I get people who want to tell me, <laughs> well, we just need to be unified. Uh, I had a, some people telling me that we should get a film crew, like a news crew, and we should get all the pastors of the churches here in Castle Rock, and we should all go stand in Plum Creek, okay, and, and show them the unity of the faith like Joshua when they crossed the Red Sea. So we have a unity of the faith. I about fell out of my chair. You want me to what? I mean, when Plum Creek is at flood stage, you can't get your knees wet. And uh, what you want us to what? Yeah, it'd be great. We'll put it in the newspaper. You ain't putting my picture in the newspaper. I ain't doing it. Well, this this is show a unity. A what? It'll say the pastors have lost their minds because it says here until we attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure and the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's where unity is, and we don't have to get our feet wet. <laughs> See where the unity is? You know, I, I for a long time, I kept thinking that doctrine divided. Okay, you'll, you'll hear that statement. Truth of the matter is, doctrine will unite. Okay, the problem that we have in doctrine today is there is an arrogance in the body of Christ that refuses to allow us to sit down and reason together from Scripture. Okay, it's just like uh, I'm reading a book on the life of John Calvin. I have to be real careful who I tell I'm reading that book. All right, I'm not reading his doctrine. Though if you look at his doctrine, darn, it's only biblical. I mean, he was an expositor. All right, but you... Oh, you're a Calvinist? Well, I'm reading. I'm not even sure John Calvin was a Calvinist. 
but, but you, all of a sudden you just roll this thing into it and it becomes this, and you're like, well, because people ask me now, and, I, and I've learned the hard way, trust me, um, are you a Calvinist? And my response is always the same now. What verse? Okay. Uh, my job is to rightly divide truth. We can, in rightly dividing truth, grow into the fullness of the stature of Christ. Okay, if you're in the stature of Christ, guess what? I'm thinking you're unified. What do you think? You know what? There's nothing greater. I have uh, had the privilege uh, a number of times now to, to teach and preach in Russia um, and in England um, and um, even once, twice in Israel. And a few other doors are open. And there's nothing greater than to stand up and open the Word of God and share it and watch the people be absolutely unified with what you're doing. And they're from all over the different places. That's amazing to me. And you know what? Um, it, it was never, you know, are, are, were you a part of the Westminster Confession? Or are you part of the Reformation? Or are you part of this? Or are you part? No, I just, I, I teach the Bible and, and we teach the Bible. And, and you know, it's like I just shared with Pastor Philip. And how are we getting the gospel into Muslim people? It's teaching of the word. That's it. And we should grow up. Grow into Him. Grow into Him who is the head. Okay? Quit being children. Grow up. Okay, so how? How do I grow up? I thought you would never ask. Okay? The same way you're alert. If you're alert, what? You look to the Word of God. How do I be firm and stand in the faith? Know the doctrine of the word. So how do I grow up? How, how do I become mature? First Peter chapter two, verses one and two, putting all aside. Now I want you to think about this because it kind of gives you a little contrast here. Peter does. Therefore, putting aside all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. You know what that sounds like? The nursery. Okay, like newborn babes. Okay, now I want you to think about this. This is some great terminology. Long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Okay, now I want you to think about this. If you have children, you know what this text is telling you. All right, when he uses the phrase there, newborn babes long, if you're a parent and you've had children, when a child is hungry, is there any doubt in your mind? They make it extraordinarily clear, don't they? Don't they? I mean, I, I'm pretty much sure that all the children are all the same. Once you have that little infant, when they are ready for the pure milk, it is known throughout the land. Feed me now. Okay, so if you want to grow, how are you going to grow? Feed me now the pure milk of the word. Get in the word and you'll grow. You'll find out. You'll be alert. You'll be firm. You'll begin to mature. And you know what is so cool about it? It's really not that tough. I've had people say, well, I just don't have the ability to study the word and all the rest of it. You know what? Neither do I. 
But if you're an infant in Christ, there should be an overwhelming desire to grow. And there's only one way you're going to grow. And that is you in the Word. How do you know what I'm telling you is true? Okay, I mean, I look at the deception that is in our communities today and I think, how in the world do people fall for that? And then it dawns on me, they don't have a clue what the Bible says. I mean, I couldn't believe 80% of Christians believe that Allah and our God are the same. Uh, What? The Muslims don't even believe that. Let me give you a text. I want you to think about this. You want to grow. You've got to grow in the true knowledge of Christ. There's only one place to get the true knowledge of Christ. From his book. Okay. But there's an interesting text. I want to to read it to you. It comes in two sections. It's Psalm 19 and it cuts in half right at verse 7. But I I want to just read this and I want you to hear this. Okay. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. Okay, the heavens. And all their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Now let's be realistic. If you look up in the sky, that's what they call a big expanse. Right? Day to day pours forth speech. That means people don't shut up. And night to night reveals knowledge. Okay? Every day goes by, we learn more and more, don't we? just amazing there is no speech nor are there words their voice is not heard their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world and in them he has placed a tent for the sun now what he just did there is to say you know what you look at everything you see around you and you have to go whoa right You just got to say it. And so you do. We talk. All right. And then he makes a statement that creation doesn't say anything. It's not speaking. The sun doesn't wake up and say, get up, earth. But what he says is there is a line and it has gone through all of the earth. And it literally means there's a track. And he says, and their utterances to the end of the world and in them is placed a tent for the sun, which is the bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. It's rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit is to the other end of them. And there is nothing Hidden from its heat. And you know what we found out? I think it was in the 70s. We found out that what you know as space. Okay? Everything that is out there. I mean, the Milky Way and all the other galaxies and the billions and billions and billions. We learned in the 70s that it had started, this whole massive thing had started over here and is in a process of going someplace. All of it. All of the galaxies, all of the stars, all the nebulous, all of the constellations, everything is started at here and it's going across and it's on a track, it's on a path and it's headed somewhere. The psalmist already knew that. The psalmist already knew that. And yet he's saying, if you take the massiveness of space, 
of the heavens, of creation. And you look at it and you think, whoa! And you think you can figure it out because you're learning day to day. Then he contrasted in verse 7. You know what he contrasted to? If you know all there is in creation, okay, you know all there is in creation, you know amino acids and DNA and this map for this and this molecular and this galaxy and this many stars and you've got this and you've got that and you know all of that. It does not compare to what comes next. What is it? The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. You can take all the wisdom that can be comprehended in all of creation and it does not compare to the Word of God. Because you know what? With all the knowledge that there is in existence, all the knowledge, all of creation, it still cannot perfect the soul. And yet the Word of the Lord can perfect the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean and enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, and they are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, much fine gold, sweeter than honey dripping from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. The word of the Lord can. Also, keep back your servants from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall acquire the great transgressions. Let I shall be acquitted of the great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He learned in Psalm 19 says that you can take everything that there is in creation. If you compare it to the word of the Lord, it doesn't stand up. Why? I need you to grow up, people. Paul says, Corinthians, grow up. Peter says, grow up. Why? You have to grow up in the true knowledge of who Jesus Christ is was and is going to be. Okay? For the perfection of your souls. That's all. That's all. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your faithfulness even when we are faithless. Father, may we rest in these assurances. Father, You will grow us. You are conforming us into the image of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I just praise You that You've drawn us here today. We found Your Word and we did drink of it. Father, I pray for this congregation. Father, that we would be alert. We'd be in Your Word and aware and awake of what is going on around us. That, Father, we would stand firm in the faith and that, Father, we would understand that prayerlessness will destroy us. That we will understand that the firmness of that faith is that that perfects our soul. And that, Father, that we would grow. We would grow to maturity. Because in that maturity would be the unity. The unity that, Father, you have with the Son and your Spirit. And, Father, that we would, in the image of the King of kings and Lord of lords to a lost and dying world. Help us, Father. Walk in humility. 
Help us to bow before You. Help us to be overwhelmed by You. Help us to die to self. It's no longer we who live, but You who live in us. Father, we are not our own. We have been bought and paid for with a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. And I thank You, Father, for the redemption of our souls. And Father, we lift unto You all that we have, all that we dream of, all that we do, May it be a sweet aroma of Christ unto you. In Christ's name, amen.